Okay, praise the Lord. Amen. So, still in the line of prophetic, um, Henry, is it Henry? Henry? Okay, just, I just sense that uh, you have in you the gift of healing. Um, I don't know if you've realized that, but it's, it's being stirred up on the inside of you. It's probably just taken you by, by surprise, or you've been ambushed by this, but, this, but I think, or I see that in your future, you're going to have the, uh, the, you know, this really miraculous ability to actually heal people. Um, you will see people healed. You will see people really miraculously restored, um, either, you know, mentally or um, physically. So um, my words to you this morning are the same words that Paul gave to Timothy. Stir up that gift. Um, don't hold it back, but let it be stirred up on the inside of you. Um, and I believe and I trust that really you will live to see amazing things um, as the Spirit of God works through you. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this morning, um, uh, this morning I am going to be giving the message. Wow, we are ready running late, so blame Rory, <laughs> it's the MC. Okay, so I just, I just beg your patience, we'll probably go about maybe 10 minutes over, over, overboard, so um, it's a time to practice patience, eh? it's a gift, <laughs> it's a good opportunity to, to practice. So I'll go straight in, we are basically in the midst of Advent, um, a lot of the worship songs were just celebrating that, we are in the midst of Advent, um, and this is the season that really leads up to Christmas. What does Advent literally mean? It's a very, it's, an, it's a Latin word um, or derived from Latin, but it basically just means coming or arrival, the coming or the arrival. And Jesus is really the center of Advent. We celebrate him in, uh, there's three aspects, there's three ways we really look at this. The first one is the fact that he came on earth, and this is what we're about to be celebrating in about maybe two weeks' time. He came onto this earth. Um, he was the word that was made flesh, um, he was tangible, he became flesh, you know, you could touch him, you could see him. Um, we also uh, look forward, you know, Advent is a time when we actually have to think about this, this thing that is based on every believer's heart, this hope that we have on the inside of us that Jesus is coming back in the flesh, okay? So every believer lives with that hope that I will see him in my flesh, like um, Job said, eh? uh, I know my Redeemer lives, yet in my flesh will I see him. So he is coming back. And then there is this other aspect that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ comes into our hearts, okay? He comes into our hearts and he dwells on the inside of us. He becomes reality on the inside of us, okay? And this is where I'm going to really focus on. But it's not, it's not really an automatic process. Jesus coming on the inside of you and dwelling with you is not something that is automatic. You have to be deliberating, inviting him in, but not only this, you also have to be deliberate about giving him room to operate on a day-by-day -day basis. If you think about people who come into your house, eh, they're guests, sometimes you invite guests into your house to come in, and when you invite guests in your house, depending on the relationship that you have with them, you will invite them in and they will sit in what you call the common areas, whether it's the sitting room, the living room, or maybe the veranda, but even as you sit and you converse with them, there are certain doors that are sealed off from them, in a sense. If they are people who are a bit distant from if they are new people, you've not met them before, there are certain areas that are closed off to them. So you'll have the, you know, coffee with them, maybe in the sitting room, maybe show them where the common bathroom is. But for example, your bedrooms might not be accessible to them or be closed off to them. But as you develop relationship with them, as they become closer to you, um, friendships and so on, these doors become open 
more and more open to you. So that process of receiving, welcoming, and then allowing people to move around freely, that relationship um, is really similar to what happens when we invite Jesus in our hearts. Many times when we start off as Christians, when we invite the Lord Jesus Christ into our hearts, we often have closed doors in our hearts. I don't know if you realize that. There are closed doors in our hearts where we are really not prepared to allow him in or we're hesitant to allow him in. These are areas of stubbornness. Okay? Amen? Okay, somebody identifies that. Areas of heart, where I've been hurt before. I'm very cautious about who gets to touch that area. Areas where I've experienced emotional pain. People have broken the trust that I've put in them. Okay, areas of pride, areas of difficulty, where I've met difficulty before, um, I'm very hesitant to allow the Lord in that area. But here's the reality. If you want to see transformation in your life, if I want to see transformation in my life, I must not only welcome the Lord Jesus into my heart, okay, or into my life, but I must allow him free access. Are we together? Free access into all these areas, these rooms in my heart. I need to prepare the way for him to come in and be established in this area. So the title of this message is Prepare the Way of the Lord. Prepare the Way of the Lord. Preparing the way means really preparing our heart. Okay, not just receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, but really deciding on a day-by-day day basis. You know, every, we talked about every breath that I take, every moment that I live. It's just allowing the Lord Jesus Christ to really um, have access and freedom to, to interfere if necessary, um, to speak if necessary in my life. So this is what it is, preparing the way of the Lord. So let's see how we are able to do this because the word of the Lord, um, God in his grace has given us revelation on how we can adequately prepare our hearts to receive him and also allow him access. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And uh, because of time, I'm going to go straight into verse 3. If you, if you would like, um, maybe start from verse 1. There's quite a lot in there, but I, I want to start from verse, straight into from verse 3. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and we're going to read up to verse 5. Okay. So this is what it says, Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Okay? It's a, it's a very familiar passage um, in this time and in this season, read many times and in many places um, we get to hear about it. But I, I really sense the Lord wants to bring us to a new revelation about this passage um, in relation to the way we prepare our hearts. So here is Isaiah speaking, and in this picture... He's basically giving uh, a scenario of how we prepare for a king. Imagine a king coming or arriving. 
Um, you know, in those former days, and even today, when VIPs arrive or VVIPs arrive into an area, there's always this group of people, like an advanced team that is sent in advance before he actually arrives or she actually arrives. And this advanced team, what they do is they essentially uh, go along the same route that the king is going to go, and they prepare the route, okay? They prepare the route. They make sure that there are no obstacles to hinder the king, first of all, from arriving at his destination, but not only is the way supposed to be prepared, but even at his destination or her destination, once the king arrives, or the, or the, the VIP, whoever it is, they, the, this advanced team also makes sure that everything that is necessary for him to do what he needs to do is available. Because it's one thing for the king to arrive and another to actually do what he is supposed to do in that situation. So if there are obstacles, such as hostile situations, if there are obstacles such as security risks, physical hindrances, then what happens is the king's route is either diverted or stopped. You understand this? I think this is clear. He doesn't force his way through. You literally have to put the person on hold, the VIP on hold, until all these obstacles are cleared. Or you have to basically cancel the journey altogether until another time. So that's something very, very important to keep in mind. Because the same is true for us. The speed at which the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord and King Jesus Christ, comes into your life and my life, plus his ability to work effectively in our lives, largely depends on us. It depends on you. It depends on me. You have a role to play. You are actually responsible for preparing your heart, for welcoming in, as well as permitting him to actually work in your life. Now, that's a, that kind of sounds a bit strange, especially to people who are brought up with this mentality that God is sovereign and can pretty much do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Okay, many people are actually brought up with that philosophy. But that is actually not entirely true. There are certain things that God cannot do without your cooperation and without your participation. Okay, if you don't cooperate, he won't act. And it's largely because of his nature. You know, this morning we're celebrating um, God is love. You know, when we talk of Advent, we, we were really focusing on love when we were doing the candles. And we read from the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And one aspect of love, which is very interesting, is this, is that love does not insist on having its own way. Love is not self-seeking. It doesn't insist on having its own way. So if you say no to God, either deliberately or even unconsciously, he will really not insist on having his own way. Why? Because he is love and love does not insist on having his own way. So if you want to see more manifestation of God in your life, in the wilderness of your life, let me say, we have to build this highway. It says, prepare the way of the, uh, sorry, it says, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway. We have to build this highway in our lives, eh? We need to remove all those obstacles in our hearts that block him and hinder him and slow him down. And we need to create an environment that enables him to work effectively in our lives. Are we together? Yes, okay, great. So in this passage that we have just read, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4 to 5, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4 to 5, God reveals to us four ways in which we can prepare the way or prepare our hearts and so what we're going to do is we're going to focus on these four ways. They're actually listed in verse 4. Verse 4. Okay? So verse 4 says, Every valley shall be lifted up, 
Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places shall become a plain. So here's Isaiah using these images and pictures that are very typical in the wilderness. Okay, in the wilderness. You see all these uh, pictures and landscapes that show us really how we can remove, what obstacles exist and how we can actually go about removing them. Valleys need to be lifted up. Mountains and hills need to be brought low. The uneven ground needs to become level and those rough places need to become a plain. So what do each of these pictures, and this is what we're going to explore for the rest of this summer, what do each of these pictures and symbols mean? How can, um, how can really removing these barriers, how can it help to prepare the way of the Lord? Okay, so let's look at the first one. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every valley shall be lifted up. What, what is a valley, really? It's a low area. I think we agree with that. It's a low area. So valleys are areas of negativity in our lives. Areas of negativity in our lives where we feel inadequate. You know, whenever you respond with, I can't do this, I can't do that. Where you see problems as too big, too complicated too difficult. Valleys can also be areas of insufficiency. I don't have enough. I have lack. I have no money. I have no personnel, no resources, nobody to help me. Okay? And let me just be clear that areas of inadequacy, um, negativity, areas of inadequacy, there is a sense in which we always need to maintain that, uh, that um, you know, that need for God. Because if, for example, I'm preparing the sermon and at any one time I see, I see I can run this sermon without God, then that's really not a right place to be. I always have this healthy need for God. But if that is a stumbling block where God is telling you something and you're saying, I don't have this, I don't have this, it's too difficult, it's too hard, you have essentially created a valley in your life. Okay? So valleys must be lifted up. We need to trust God. I mean, that's the answer. That's how we lift up values. We trust God to equip us and to supply our every need. Now, it is true, like I said, without Jesus, you can do nothing. But it's also true that with him, all things are possible. With him, all things are possible. So we just need to, to lift up these valleys and place them at his feet. Okay? If we don't lift the valleys, they eventually develop into really deep, uh, what do you call them? Um, deep valleys, <laughs> for lack of a better word. <laughs> you know, areas of doubt, complaining, fear, worry, anxiety, and eventually you literally just stop trusting God. And he is limited at that point in his ability to work in your life. Let me take you to a passage in Psalms, uh, this is Psalms chapter 78. We're not going to read the, the whole chapter. I would like, maybe if you have the time, you can go and read it. But Psalms chapter 78 um, is a, a psalm where the writer is basically narrating the history of Israel. It's basically just testifying about the amazing things that God did in the life of the Israelites. From the time of Jacob to the time of the exile in Egypt, um, when God delivered them through the wilderness and set them up in the promised land, 
how he provided for them, protected them, was patient with them over and over again, despite the fact that they complained and complained and complained as they journeyed through um, these seasons in their lives. Now, in verse 40 to 43, we're going to go very quickly, uh, verse 40 to 43, the psalmist says this, the psalmist says this, Psalm 78, verse 40 to 43, how often did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yes, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy, how he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zion, and on and on it goes. Now, in case you missed it, verse 41 is very key. It says they turned back and they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. In other words, when these people experienced negative situations, and you can look at the history of, is, of the Israelite nation, every time they experienced negative situations, inadequacy, insufficiency, lack, they failed to trust God. And the result is, according to this line, they limited God. So every time we are tempted to be anxious, to complain, we are actually saying to God, I don't really think you can solve this problem. We are saying to God, I don't think you can make this work. We are saying to God, I don't really think you can end this situation. In effect, that's what we are saying. And when we are doing this, we are limiting God. So how do we change this? How do we change this? How do we remove these limits? How do we lift up these values? And the key word is remembrance with remembrance. We remember what he has done, how he has been faithful and will continue to be faithful. Verse 42 says exactly this. It's the root cause of our values is we remember not. Verse 41, we remember not his hand. Okay? So as you prepare to enter 2023, as you and I prepare to enter 2023, it's just a few days away. Let us make it a point to remember the good things that the Lord has done. Remember the good things that the Lord has done for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Indeed. We need to praise him, to give thanks to him continually, even in the midst of the wilderness, because thus far, thus far, he has brought us. There are many who would have liked to see this day, and they didn't. Here you are. So let's praise him for that. Uh, remembering also that the Lord dwells in the praises of his people. Remember we talked about creating an environment that the Lord can work in? So if we have this praise and thanksgiving continuously going on in our lives, that's where the Lord dwells. He dwells in the praises. He lives in and abides in the praises of his people. Amen? Amen. So that's as far as valleys are concerned. What about mountains and hills? Still on Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4. Okay, we talked about valleys need to be lifted up. And then he says, every mountain and hill needs to be made low. What are the mountains and the hills that need to be brought low in order to make way for the king of kings in my heart? What are those mountains and hills? Well, I believe those mountains and hills are areas where we ex exalt ourselves and our opinions beyond, the, beyond God and above God and his opinions and above his word, okay? So there are areas in our hearts where we exalt ourselves and our opinions above God where self is exalted above God. This is where we are selfish. Ouch. We are self-focused. Ouch, ouch. 
We are self-centered. <laughs> Triple ouch. <laughs> we are self-absorbed. Some people never speak to anyone. Self-absorbed. It's where your life is full of selfies. <laughs> really. <laughs> you know, the mountains are really, the result of mountains is, is an attitude of my way or no way. That's really your philosophy. My way or no way. And this kind of attitude will hinder God's work in you. Remember that God does not insist on having his own way. So whenever you insist on having your way, God will give it to you in the short term. But there's going to be consequences. There's a story in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, which clearly demonstrates this. You know, the nation of Israel, um, and again, I won't go through the whole chapter, but just to give a bit of, a bit of background, the nation of Israel had settled in the promised land. And the prophet Samuel was judge at that time. So in those days, judges essentially ruled over Israel. They served as political figures as well as messengers of God. Okay? However, during the later time of Samuel's life, um, he became old, and so he made his sons judges. You know, he passed on that um, title over to his sons. But his sons, unfortunately, were very corrupt and very unjust. So the people of Israel thought about, about it and decided they actually wanted an alternative. Now, what, one thing they had noticed when they arrived in the promised land is that all around them were other kingdoms. And without exception, every one of these kingdoms was ruled by a king. Okay, so here they were, they were in the promised land. Now, they wanted a king, okay? So they went to, uh, because of what they had seen with their neighbors, they basically um, uh, wanted to, see, to be ruled the way that others were being ruled. So they went over to Samuel, and through Samuel, they went and made the request to God. They asked God for a king so that they can be governed like other nations, okay? That was really their motive. But it was not really God's way. God's way, God's intent, right from the start, when he set aside the nation of Israel, was to have a people holy to himself, whom he would have relationship directly with, with and he would govern directly um, over. Okay, that was really God's way. So when they came and they said um, to God, I want a king, or we want a king, what they were essentially doing was they were rejecting God. And that's what it says in the passage. Okay, so what God did, he didn't say no. He actually warned them about it. He said, be careful, okay? If you select kings, or if you go for kings, or being ruled by kings, there's going to be consequences. A king will enforce taxes, which they never used to have. A king will take away your land at will, whenever he wants. He will take away your daughters, your sons. There's a whole, you know, if you read First Samuel chapter 8, there's a whole list of warnings about what would happen if they decided to actually be ruled by kings. However, despite all these warnings, the nation of Israel insisted we want to be ruled by a king. They insisted on having their way. And so, what did God do? He gave them a king. Okay, so the next chapter, you see what happens. Saul is anointed as king, and then, from then on, everything that God warned them about a king begins to come to pass. So, over the next several hundreds of years, Israel and Judah were ruled by kings who were mostly weak, very disobedient, most of them were disobedient, and who led the two nations, Israel and Judah, um, astray. They led them away from God. 
So God let them have their way, but there were very serious consequences to it. The key lesson here is that if you insist on having your own way, okay, that's the mountain um, that stands in the way of God. If you really insist on having that mountain, then you're really not going to prepare the Lord, the way of the Lord effectively. The reality is it's either your way or God's way. It can't be both. <clears throat> so you need to bring down that mountain of self down. How do I do that? How do I bring down that mountain of self? Humility is very important. Humility, submission, and yielding to God on a continuous basis. And when you do so, he actually lifts you up, okay? The Bible says in many passages, when you are humble, when you humble yourself before the Lord, when you submit to him, he lifts you up. So we need to be continuously yielded to the Lord. It's kind of like a potter molding clay. I don't know if you've seen potters working with um, clay pots and they're molding clay. When they're working with clay pots, they, the, the key thing with, when, they, when they're working to mold uh, clay pots, the key thing is that clay has always got to be soft and yielding. If the clay becomes hard, they stop. If the clay becomes resistant, they stop. But as long as the clay is soft and yielding, the potter continues to work with it. And so that's the same principle that we have. Amen? So let every hill and mountain in my life and your life, let it be brought low. So the next thing, still on Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4, is that the uneven ground shall become level. The uneven ground shall become level, okay? The sentence read, every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, okay? Uh, in the Amplified, it says, this is an interesting, it says the crooked and uneven places shall be made straight and level. The crooked and uneven places shall become, or shall be made straight and level. Where are the crooked places in our lives? that prevent the Lord from having his way. So when the, when the Bible talks about the crooked, um, and it makes many references of crookedness, uh, for example, in Deuteronomy, <clears throat> I think it's chapter 30-something, it talks about a crooked generation. Same thing in Philippians, it talks about a crooked generation. A crooked generation really means a generation which is corrupted. Crooked places or uneven places are there for places in our hearts where we are, in a sense, corrupted where we're enslaved by sin, because that's really the corrupting factor in our lives. We're enslaved by sin, where we are full of deceit and lies, where truth is hidden in our lives and is perverted, and that sometimes it's deliberately ignored. Okay, so these are areas of crookedness in our life. And when you are really living in these areas, you're essentially yielded to the enemy and his work instead of being yielded to who? To God and his ways, okay? So in a very simple sense, sin, deceitfulness, lies, and all these things are really a hindrance to walking with God. They lead to death, but God's way leads to life. You really can't walk both ways at the same time. But the good news, and thank God there is good news, is that we have forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And that's really the good news. It is good news. Because with forgiveness, we have access, you know. We have grace through forgiveness, and through grace, we actually have access to the Father. So in areas where we are trapped, where we don't have truth, we do have a way out. We can receive forgiveness, as well as give out forgiveness. Because many times, some of these areas that are crooked are areas where we've very much um, hesitated to give forgiveness to others. And normally when you hesitate to give forgiveness to others, it means you are really not receiving forgiveness from God. 
So where forgiveness doesn't flow freely in our lives, those are crooked places, okay? So we need to receive forgiveness in a healthy way. And if there are areas in your life really that are deep and you struggle to receive forgiveness, we can also pray with you and help you to work through that. But it is very essential that we receive forgiveness from the Father and we live out in that area, that environment of forgiveness. And then not only that, we actually commit to walking in obedience with God. Very important. We should learn from the prophet, you know, um, Ezra. Ezra was a prophet and priest um, in the time of the Babylonian exile. And he's not really one of these major, major prophets that everyone speaks about, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so on. Ezra is one of those quiet, quiet guys. But if you read his book, you see he was a very devoted man. Um, he was passionate, passionate about walking in obedience to God. Ezra chapter, chapter 7 verse 10 says of him that he prepared his heart. Notice it begins with preparation of heart. He prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and then to teach it, to minister it to others. So he prepared his heart to read, um, to seek the law of the Lord, and then to do it and to teach others as well. Okay, so if we want to straighten the crooked paths in our lives, like I said, receive forgiveness, okay, and really that's actually step one to receiving the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. You receive forgiveness. And then deliberately prepare my heart to seek the Lord. I must be very deliberate about this because it can sometimes become very sidelined. In a world that is pulling us back, forth, front, center, sometimes we can put all these things on the wayside, but we have to be very deliberate about seeking God uh, because when we do seek him, he will be found by us. That's his promise to us. We need to spend time in his word. We need to walk in obedience to him. It might not be perfect, but at least the commitment has to exist <clears throat> in your heart. Okay? So, um, so that is the third one. And then the fourth one is really making these rough places plain. Rough places plain. Okay, so we go to Isaiah chapter 40 verse 4. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, or the crooked paths uh, made straight. And then the rough places are plain. Rough places in the wilderness are really places where it's difficult to pass or to maneuver. Uh, imagine a king and all his soldiers, his entourage, his servants is trying to pass through somewhere where a place is very difficult to maneuver. It can be very risky because it can be ambushed. Um, and it will also naturally delay his journey. So this is why rough places must be made a plain. Now, notice it doesn't say must be made plain. It says must be made a plain, a plain. It's not just plain, but a plain. A plain is a geographical area that is very flat, very, very flat. Okay, there are no obstacles. And the king and his soldiers, his entourage, can move very quickly and very efficiently without any hindrance whatsoever because there's lots of space. So what are those rough places in our hearts that need to be made into a plane where God can move efficiently, very quickly through our lives? Well, I've identified two of them, uh, which I think stand out. One is unbelief, areas of unbelief in our hearts. In order for God to work in our lives, we need to have faith. Faith, I think we, we, we all understand faith is really what pulls what is in the spiritual into the physical. So in order for us to remove this obstacle of rough places, 
is we need to operate this atmosphere of faith. Now, unbelief will obviously hinder faith. Faith pleases God. Faith is a healthy environment for him to work in. He moves freely and unhindered in your life. Unbelief stops the work of God. There is a scenario in the Bible where Jesus went to his hometown in Nazareth. Okay? He had just started off his ministry and he decided, let me go to my hometown, my home village in Nazareth, and let me go and preach the good news to the people in Nazareth. Now, when he got there, he was met with people who had a lot of unbelief. Most of these people had grown up with Jesus as a little boy, all the way into his youth and then as he became an adult. So many of them knew him. They knew his family. Uh, and so really, when he came to minister to them as the Messiah, they just couldn't, they couldn't get it. Because <laughs> this was a little boy who was playing, I don't know, what do little boys play? With marbles and with, um, I don't know, they hit each other, they climb trees. And then he comes and he says, I've come to heal you. And they're like, isn't this the same guy who, you know, son of Mary, son of Joseph? You know, it's, it's, it, their attitude was an attitude of unbelief. They couldn't believe it. And the result, the verse says in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, it says, he could not do any miracles there except he laid his hands on a few people, just a few people, and healed them. But he could not do any miracles in that atmosphere. Imagine that. This is Jesus who created the world, who has the power to heal every single disease, every single illness is subject to his name. Every demon, when they, whatever they kinds they are, they flee at his name. But he was stopped, he was hindered, he could do no mighty miracles because of unbelief. Okay? So that's one thing that is really a rough place that we need to make into a plane. Convert unbelief, release it, and instead walk in faith. The other area is really traditions and the doctrines of men. Traditions and the doctrines of men. It's very easy to hold on to traditions and doctrines. Um, these are things that, you know, practices that you, 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 you simply have and you, 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 know, you receive from somewhere, probably from your previous generations or from people around you, and you just do without really thinking what do they actually mean. Um, and not only that, but you also insist that others have to do them in order to be found satisfactory in the eyes of God or acceptable in the eyes of God as well as in the eyes of man. Such traditions cancel the power of God's word in our lives. The problem with traditions, many of them are very subtle. Until you're questioned, why are you actually doing this? So we talked about putting up Christmas trees, and I really don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to really divert you if your, your plan is to put up a Christmas tree and it blesses you, fantastic. But if you're just doing it because the neighbor has done it and the neighbor's neighbor has done it, you are now in the cycle of traditions, okay? So we, we, need, to, we need to think about these traditions, things that we just do because we, you know, everybody else is doing them. And we think that somehow we get acceptance from God and from men, from our fellow men, because we have done certain traditions, okay? It really doesn't work that way. It's actually a hindrance to the power of the word of God. Jesus confronted the Pharisees at one time with this very thing. The Pharisees held many, many traditions. They had so many traditions and rituals that dealt with things like cleansing. They dealt with things like um, tithing, uh, Sabbath, 
um, things, you know, on and on. There were so many traditions and, and, and rituals that they used to do. And many of them, by the way, were not even part of the law of Moses. They just got, it on, got, got, it, got added on as in generation became, you know, a generation gave way to another generation, gave way to another generation. So each generation would just pass on these traditions. Um, and they were really obsessed about them. So obsessed that it became the thing for a Pharisee to do. That's how they were recognized. Um, and then not only this, they insisted that to be a real Jew, a holy Jew, you had to actually observe these traditions. Now the problem is that their observance and their fixation and their obsession with these traditions resulted in the fact that they actually neglected the word of God. They neglected things like love and mercy and compassion because they were obsessed with obeying uh, traditions. One time they asked Jesus, they came to Jesus and they asked him, why aren't your disciples washing their hands according to tradition? And they had very complicated traditions about washing hands. You had to wash up to the elbow. You had to wash with a cloth. One fist had to be closed. There were all sorts of these traditions that existed. So they noticed the disciples would just eat without really observing this. So they came to Jesus and asked, why aren't your disciples really observing these traditions? And so Jesus essentially told them, you guys are hypocrites because you're more obsessed with observing traditions and rituals than worshiping God from your heart. Remember, it goes back to the heart. What is actually in your heart? And as a result, he told them, you are voiding, you are nullifying, and you are canceling the power of the word of God in your life. So traditions and doctrines of men, this is exactly what they do. They hamper, they, 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 they nullify, they cancel the word of God in our lives. The word of God has power. But if you are more obsessed with traditions and obedience to traditions, you can actually nullify or cancel that power. So traditions and doctrines of men, if you think about this, they are actually everywhere. What do you believe about going to church, for example, on specific days? There are some people who only go, believe church should only be on Sunday or only on Saturday and no other day. What do you believe about eating and drinking? Some people will say pork, no pork. Alcohol, no alcohol. Okay? So remember, a tradition becomes a tradition, actually a hindering tradition, when it becomes the way in which you make yourself holy before God and you insist others have to follow in, other, in, in order to make themselves holy before God. So many times traditions are used to judge others. Okay? What do you think about how we worship? Sometimes when we put up the hymns and the quote-unquote old songs, some of us just switch off. Maybe. Okay? The type of song, the type of music, is that a tradition for you? What about how we dress in church? If you're the type of person who believes you have to wear a three-piece suit and a tie, you're in trouble in this church. <laughs> People come in shorts, people come in whatever. <laughs> you really are. What about how we celebrate Christmas? Uh-oh. Do you insist your way must be how everybody else celebrates? What about women preachers? Hmm. And women leaders? Again, if you're in this church, you are in trouble. <laughs> I was actually asked once, good thing is not in this church. I was asked, I was challenged once, somebody asked me, why are you a preacher when actually the Bible says that women are not supposed to preach in church and to wear trousers? You know? 
<laughs> and it's really a misinterpretation of scripture. But for this person, it was a tradition, something that they used to judge me. Anyway, I just said, Father, thank you that you're in the forgiving business, because really, half the time, we don't know what we are doing. So, you see, when you approach, uh, when you are expecting to receive from God with that kind of attitude, anytime a preacher who is not really what your expectation is, anytime they stand up to minister to you, you essentially block them off. You see? So our traditions can act as a hindrance to the Lord and his ways. We actually obstruct and block the way of the Lord. So friends, we need to prioritize the word of God and hold it more important as any tradition that we ever encounter. So as I come to the conclusion of this message, I want to really pull it through because this message was given by Isaiah um, in the time, of course, when Isaiah lived. Now, the same message was preached when John the Baptist essentially was launching his ministry and was really in the heart of his ministry. This was the essence of it. He said, prepare the way of the Lord. And he was, remember, John, John the Baptist was really the last uh, Old Testament prophet just before Jesus arrived. And he was declaring this. And he said, guys, things have to change because a new kingdom, a new system has arrived. A new king is arriving. And so he used a word that is, very, that is often used very, very uh, commonly in our churches uh, and in our, in our cycles, the word repent. He said, repent because the kingdom of God has arrived. To repent <clears throat> is very simply, is to change the way you think. We need to have a change in the way that we think. If we are to bring down those mountains, if we are to raise those valleys, if we are to make the rough places smooth or straight, and if we are to essentially... Uh, make those rough places into a plane. We need to change the way that we think. The good news is because we live in the age of grace, okay, the age of empowerment, God has given to us his son, his spirit to enable us to really work through these obstacles. So we are not really in this journey alone. Although I started off by saying this is our responsibility, but the reality is that we are not in this journey alone. And when we are faithful to God, when we're really committed to walking the path with him, he helps us to level those mountains, to lift those valleys, to make these crooked places even, and also to make the rough places plain. Amen? Amen. So let me stop there and just end with this last verse, verse 5. <laughs> verse 5 is really the conclusion of this, because when we are able to commit to this process, something amazing happens. The glory of the Lord is revealed, okay? And then we see the manifestation of God in our lives. Glory is really just strength. That's glory, the word glory, when we sing of glory and so on, it's really just strength. So when, you want, when, you, when we ask the Lord to really um, show his glory, we want to see his glory, we want to see his strength in our lives, that's what happens when we remove all these obstacles in the highway of our God. Amen? Amen. Anybody's been blessed? You all are very quiet. Thank you, Lord. Okay. Amen. Indeed. Thank you, Lord. So rise to your feet as we conclude and as we pray. I just want to say that even as we pray, if this message has touched you, um, in any way, and you would like prayer in a very specific area of your life where you feel 
that you need help, basically. Uh, we're available to pray with you. We're available to minister with you. Uh, we have people who are committed to prayer. We have people who are um, in the leadership team, in the intercessory team, so they can really pray with you and minister with you. But I want to really, uh, first of all, take this opportunity to wish everybody a lovely Christmas, um, because I, this is probably my last message um, uh, before the end of the year. Okay, don't clap too enthusiastically, because then a few weeks later, <laughs> in a few weeks, 2003 is just around the corner, so I'll see you again. But I really want to take this opportunity to wish everybody a lovely season. Keep these messages in our hearts because the Lord really desires that we worship him without any hindrances. We welcome him and we live with him without any hindrances in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, Holy Spirit, you are here. And so at this time, as we have received from you and you have revealed these areas in our hearts that sometimes we struggle with, sometimes we don't even know that they're there. Father, we submit to the process of just working them out of our lives. Lord, our commitment is that even as we welcome you into our lives and as you sit with us and fellowship with us, that we open the doors of our hearts, every room and every area in our, in our, in our house be opened up to you. That your glory will be revealed. And so I pray, Lord, for everyone who has had this message, I just pray that the enemy will not snatch away any of the seeds of this message but it will become embedded in our hearts and it will grow in our hearts and become fruitful. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed, amen and amen. Okay, thank you. And so as we depart, don't forget there's a cup of tea and coffee. Um, if you need further ministry, we are here to pray with you. And yes, and Trina has her library of resources, so you're welcome also to borrow some resources that can help you through the Christmas season. Um, so thank you so much, Trina, for that ministry. And to the rest of you, have a lovely and a great week. Amen and amen.